Weekend Variety. Wireless. Did you catch the Pearl Harbour eyewitness story from last night? Uh, we've put it up on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage if you did miss it. Amazing eyewitness testimony from a sailor who was there. Uh, some of it's pretty graphic. Ugh. It's up on the webpage, so I entreat you to go there. Uh, I'll be keeping in touch on the Facebook page as well. Oh, someone spotted uh, an advertisement for a watch. Two of them, in fact. An official advert advertisement for a watch where the watch was not at 10 past 10 or 10 to 2. That is the statutory default setting for all advertising and watches. They are rare, rare, precious birds indeed to find one that isn't. So uh, can, good on you, Alan Jonkers. Thank you very much. You'll get a Christmas card. Might as well throw it up on Facebook page as well. I don't know. All right, uh, John Dippick's letter from America coming up very, very shortly. Weekend Variety Wireless. U.S. is the least qualified guy. But look what they are doing today. What? Yet, what are we this doing? guy is telling us it's better for U.S. to shut up. Hi, John. What are we doing? Hi, Graham. How you going? You know what we're doing, as far as the Chinese are concerned, we've, we've, uh, we've we, um, you know, arrested one of their one of their executives, uh, Hawaii, Huawei. 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 I thought that was in Canada. Yeah, but we requested it. That Canada, Canada doesn't give a shit. Oh, really? Yeah. We so does... What's his true dog? Does yeah. he just say if Trump asked him something? He says yes, Don. I guess I don't know, but anyway, it has to do with they with Iran. They were giving technology to Iran, and Iran's oh. under sanction, so that's the deal. Oh, really? And then, uh, yeah, you're right. It is in Canada, but the request of the U.S. U.S. government, but uh, the Chinese, I don't know. They they lay down in the gauntlet. They told Canada, you know, release her or watch yourself. Yeah. So. <laughs> That'll be interesting to see what, what Canada is doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can go yell at those guys for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Saskatchewan, attack! <laughs> you know, drain their maple syrup. I don't know. Most of Canada isn't there. No, it's only on the fringes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's so wide open. There's nothing there. How many lakes? A billion. Yeah, a a, most a, of it. It's just. Yeah. Have a look on Google Earth. Yeah. What yeah. a yeah. It's place. A, yeah. It's a it's an empty empty place. No. Uh, yeah. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I suppose so. I don't know. No, no. I've been up to Vancouver. I've been to Montreal. Montreal's a no, beautiful. No, but you haven't city. been to those godforsaken places. No, no. I haven't been to the middle because the there's the no Utah, reason to go there. <laughs> Labrador or somewhere you know, like that, where you're yeah. basically well fighting for your life against a mosquito attack. Yeah. Well, there was just a woman and her child got eaten by a bear. All right. You know, I saw the headline and I said to my wife, I said, How I compassionate I sounded. Why no? But I said, I bet you, I bet you dollars of dollars it was in Canada, and sure enough, it uh -huh. was in the Yukon. All right. Yep. Okay. Now, Trump world. How is it this week? Oh God, this is you know, the shit's really hit the fan now. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is this is this is amazing. Are we just going to go right to Trump world? Whatever you like. Okay, we can just go to Trump World. I mean, I had other things before we got to Trump no, World. No, we'll go to do, do what you want. It's your thing. It's my thing. I'm following your <laughs> notes. Look. It says everybody's a winner in Trump world. Is oh. what it says. See, God, oh. folks, you know, I'm. I tell you what, sometimes it's tough with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I put that down is Scott Walker, who was a total douchebag. He was the former governor of Wisconsin. Really a crooked guy. He just lost the election. And this is what is. This is what he said. 
In no way do I see it as a rejection, but rather just a larger election than we've seen in the past. We receive more votes for governor than any other Republican ever. But guess what, Scott? The other guy got even more. You lost. Oh, no. <laughs> this lost. is like Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> turning up at Glastonbury for a victory parade after he lost the election. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you lost. Yeah. The other guy got more votes. I don't care if you got more votes than the other any other guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts. But but see, that's the way with this alternative facts and all this Trump bullshit. Nah. That's the way people think. They can just make up shit and go, oh, no, nah, I didn't really lose. I just, no. yeah, it wasn't a rejection. It was just, you know, whatever it was. You know, we got more votes than last time. Yeah. <laughs> it was winning seconds. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Exactly, we won second. That's exactly right. Yeah. Gold or silver, silver is gold. <laughs> To confuse night for day. <laughs> All right. Now, um, finally, someone speaking the truth. Yeah, well, this is this uh, Khashoggi, this Jamal Khashoggi. Khashoggi, yeah. Khashoggi, okay, okay. okay yeah, whatever. No, no, we'll work on it. Uh, this um, columnist for the Washington Post, who's a Saudi citizen but was a U.S. resident, mm. and uh, he went over to Turkey and um, Istanbul and got some papers and didn't come out of it and got killed. And, and Trump has defended Mohammed bin Salman, the whole time saying this is the prince of Saudi Arabia, a young prince that is now running the country, uh, per se. And um, he stuck with him the whole time, saying, well, he might have done it, he might not have done it. And everybody said the guy did it. And the CIA has recordings of this guy talking to his brother-in-law, you know. Uh, and so finally, the CIA chief wasn't able to talk to anybody. The White House put the clamps on her. This, it's a woman that runs the CIA now. And um, she finally got to talk to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and she told them the truth. She showed them the, the documents and all the recordings, and Bob Corker, who's the head of the Foreign Relations Committee, senator from Tennessee, came out and he said, if this guy was in front of a jury, he'd be convicted in 30 minutes. Mm. It wouldn't even be close, you know. And so, he, I mean, the Marid of intrigue and balances of power in American politics right now is phenomenal. Why wouldn't this why wasn't the CIA able to come out a month ago when this happened and present this proof? Only because the White House stand me there. And one of the reasons Isn't the CIA far more independent from the executive branch, the president, than Well it's supposed that? it's supposed to be it's not. No. The executive branch can knock it down. It's it's part of the Department of Justice. What about the FBI? Same thing, Department of Justice. So Hoover only stuck there the whole time because he had dirt on everybody. He had dirt on everybody, yeah. And he was a real dirty guy. But, yeah, no, the, every every law enforcement agency is under... Makes me squirm every time I see the <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover building. Yeah, yeah. I think I that piece yeah. of yeah. slime. Yeah, but all the Department of Justice's, um, you know, FBI, the CIA... Everything is under the auspicious of the Department of Justice, which is, you know, under the authority of the Commander-in-Chief, which okay. is the President. So, you know, so they, they were able to do that. And the thing is, just another little piece of information, a Saudi, they've just discovered that a Saudi lobbyist gave out squillions of invitations to military veterans to come to Washington, D.C., and stay at the Trump Tower Hotel in Washington, D.C., and spend about $275,000. And essentially what it was was a money laundering system that, okay, we're going to give you the money, but we got to spend it on somebody else, but we'll spend it at your hotel. And it's once again, comes down to business. 
comes down to business. Screw everything else. It's always business at the bottom line with Trump. Always business. Which is, and it, you know, it's... It's what he really wants to do. He didn't want to win. No, he didn't. He, he had the whole thing worked out where he wasn't going to win. And then, you know... He won by mistake. You know, yeah, basically, yeah. You know, it was just so austacious. Hillary uh, helped. Yeah, Hillary, everybody helped. Yeah. The whole thing kind of, when you, when historians look back on this, they'll just be going, this is the why it's not as it's not as mysterious as you guys no, made it out to be. No. It was pretty plain in sight right there. It was, One of the few who actually uh, uh, picked it was Michael Moore. Michael Moore picked it. And there was an American professor from um, uh, American University over in yeah. overseas. He yeah. picked it. Yeah. You know, and yeah, so there was a couple of people that picked it. Yeah, yeah. All righty. Um, now, <laughs> is this more Trump? No. Just when you thought it was over, it ain't. Well, this is, you know, I mean, the midterm elections happened a month ago. Mm. Yeah, over a month ago. And the, it was a tsunami now. I mean, the, the Republicans or the Democrats just picked up another seat. So it's 40 seats. I mean, eight and a half million, almost nine million votes more. I mean, 321 extra state legislative seats, governorships. It was a tsunami. There's still one more. There's still one more. And you know how Trump is always talking about voter fraud, voter fraud, mm. and it's always against him? Well, guess what? In the 9th District in North Carolina, a phenomenal case of voter fraud. They declared the Republican the winner. And then all of a sudden, somebody, I don't know how this how they tipped their hat, but somebody asked about absentee ballots. So the so the state they have a they have a state committee that certifies the winner. So the state committee, some guy in the state committee said, Well, let me look into this. So he looked into it. And the, the race was really close between the Republican and the Democrat. It was like 49.7% to 48.3%. So it was, it was very close. Mm. And one county for absentee ballots, the Republican guy got f over 400 absentee ballots and the Democratic guy got 17. <laughs> so they said, well, okay, we're going to look at this. Well, what happened was some goddamn guy that was running the Republican absentee ballot thing for the... De Republican, he went around, he hired people, and they went around and collected all the absentee ballots from this county and changed the, changed the, wrote, wrote, the, wrote in the Republican guy. It's the evidence of this. Yeah, they got it. Oh, they got it. So they're, I mean, it is unbelievable. People just came by. Uh, they had examples of That's this. That's the sort of thing you do in Zimbabwe. Exactly. I mean, it is unbelievable. This is very rural North Carolina. This is like, you know, people don't really know what's going on. Like this one uh, couple came up and said, when this came out, and they said, oh, yeah, we had an absentee ballot, and some woman came and knocked on our door and asked us if we had done it. And we said no, because we really didn't know exactly what we were supposed to do. So she explained to us why the Republican guy was the guy to vote for, so we voted for him. <laughs> Do they know that Trump's president? <laughs> no, these people wouldn't. They wouldn't have any idea. So anyway, so the state is looking into this, and once they verify everything, there's going to be a new election. They're going to do the whole thing over again. Oh, my God. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. you know. And, and, but these, and that, these people that are actually changing about yeah, sticking it in. Yeah, sticking it in. I mean, they, they they when they knocked on the doors because they knew the guy's got the list of where all the absentee ballots goes. So as soon as they're mailed out, 
he sent all these people in and knocked on the door. And if they hadn't filled out their ballot, they said, have you filled out your ballot? And they said, oh, no, we haven't got around to it yet. They said, that's okay. Give it to us and we'll fill it out for you. <laughs> I mean, it's just, just rampant corruption. And have you heard Trump say one peep about this? No, no. not one flipping peep. Are you going to go and see Michael Moore's movie? Uh, Fahrenheit 11.9? I haven't seen any of his movies. Yeah, uh, okay. you know? I mean, if I had an opportunity, I would see it. Yeah, you know. Okay, well, it's it's all about Trump and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it is. But I mean, that is that is low hanging fruit. But he's, yeah, it's, well, it's just the right sort of thing for. Yeah, right at this particular time, that's what yeah. you're gonna, that's what you're gonna do. Now we're getting to Trump world. Right. This is the this is the this is the big thing this week, folks. God dang, man! The last couple of days, yesterday, Friday, when uh, day before, uh, in, in the states, you know, you had three indictments come down in court. Michael Flynn is National Security Advisor. And that one was, this is, this is one of the Mueller, the prosecutor, the special prosecutor, details all the crimes and all the stuff as to why they got him. But it was so heavily redacted that you didn't get any juicy bits. Mm. You didn't get any of the juicy stuff for the public. But the thing that, a couple of things you could take from that, he was, uh, Michael Flynn was, involved in three different investigations, not just the Russian one. There were a couple others that were involving Trump with the finances and the family finances. The biggest thing to take away from Michael Flynn was the, the glowing testimony that Mueller gave him, that he was substantially helpful, that he did everything he possibly could, that, you know, uh, because of his testimony, other people came forward and testified, and they recommended zero to six months in jail. So you know he gave up somebody higher than him. Uh-huh. You know he, you know, I mean, all that redacted stuff is there. All right, then on, then on Friday, that was on Wednesday, then on Friday we had two more indictments for the courts. Michael Cohen, the personal lawyer, and Mueller, his campaign manager. You know, Cohen, now this is, you know. I'm losing track of all these people now. Yeah. You gotta, how many people has Trump been through and his tons. chief of staff is going? Chief of staff, John Kelly, he's going. He's going. But listen to what Michael Cohen said. And this really throws the cat in the pigeons. The federal prosecutors, and this is not Mueller. This is the New York Southern District prosecutors, Mm -hmm. have said that for the first time in a court filing that Cohen committed campaign finance crimes in coordination with and at the direction of President Trump, which is a felony. Of candidate Trump at of, the time. Yeah, the candidate Trump. But he's president now. And that's the only thing that's keeping him from being indicted. He is now an unindicted co-conspirator. Because in the Department of Justice, it's not in the Constitution, but in the Department of Justice, there's some kind of, like, uh, thing where you can't indict a sitting president. Oh. It's not written. It's not really written down. Some people say you can. Some people say you can't. But the prosecutors have said if he wasn't the president... He would be facing the same criminal charges and be indicted that Cohen is facing. All right. All right. So you've got a sitting president that has committed two felonies. All right. Cohen also said in his indictment, or Mueller said about what Cohen gave him, Mm. that Trump and he discussed reaching out to the Russians in 2015 in connection with the Trump Tower in Moscow reaching out to the government, combining 
the tower in Moscow with the political campaign because you needed the cooperation of Putin and the Kremlin to build a building of that size and magnitude. So right there you have, and you go back to some of the interviews with Trump in 2015 and 16, and he said repeatedly that he, nor did anybody in his campaign, or did he know of anybody in his campaign that had reached out to the Russians. So there's another crime right there once they get, you know, now the thing with the felony. It's the lying I can't stand. Oh, I know. She's, the thing with the filing mm. is they can't, if, even if they won't, they probably won't indict him because Mueller is a stickler for tradition. Yeah. So he won't, they won't indict him. And the only other way you can get but rid of But he can't be impeached for this either because it's not done while he, was, while he was president. Is that right? No, that's wrong. No, oh. that's definitely an impeachable because he did it on the, he did it on the campaign. Okay. You know, to become as president. As a candidate. As a candidate, yeah. yeah. Once you get invested. And, then, and the thing with the Trump Tower, I looked into this further. They're looking at money laundering and violation of banking laws because Trump signed a letter to finance the deal with VTB Bank, which is a Russian bank, which is under sanction by the United States government because oh. they, they money launder all over the place. Oh. You know, and then the other thing is there's a thing called. That's way bad. Yeah. Well, you know, everything's bad, you know. There's another you get thing. locked up in Canada for dealing Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chinese will come to your rescue. But the other thing was <clears throat> there's a foreign corruption practices law. And I didn't know this, but uh, no matter whether you're a candidate or just a businessman, an American businessman can't go, like, to Venezuela and offer a bribe or an inducement to the president of a foreign power to get a sweetheart deal building something there. It's right. against United States law to mm -hmm. do that. So that that fifty dollar condominium thing um, would you know would go against that. So I, I just want to wrap this up here. I mean, this is like also Cohen said that there was uh, he had talked to a guy that was high up in the Kremlin office, and they offered they wanted to get to, they wanted Trump and Putin to get a meeting together to have political synergy. You know, I mean, so this is stuff that Cohen has said. Now, Cohen didn't come out of this well. Cohen's not didn't come out of this well. He told all this stuff, but they still want to hammer him for four and a half to five years in jail because there are certain things that he would not talk about. Uh, yeah. So he, he cooperated on the Russian stuff with Trump, but there was personal stuff, and everybody's thinking, as everybody said, <coughs> especially with Paul Manafort, you know, it's the Russian mafia. You know, they're worried about that, worried about their families and, and whatnot. But you look at you look at this presidency, total chaos, scandal, total darkness. Everything is dark. Every, nothing's light. Nothing's going well for Trump. Everything's always dour. Total lies. Trump lies all the time, and everybody around him lies. The whole thing. And blatant corruption. And the final booming economy and low, low unemployment. Yeah, 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 and everybody's saying that we're going to go into a recession. The, the Dow, we'll see, we'll see. Bullshit. The Dow Jones, <laughs> the Dow Jones this week lost everything for the year that they gained over two thousand points. Well, I don't down. know how that stuff works. They bounce back sometimes, don't they? You, the, you the don't want a almost, dead cat bounce. The year's almost over. It ain't bouncing back that oh, okay. much. All right. All right, you keep going on on, on that bullshit. Ah. That bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. What? Yeah, bullshit, we'll see. You know, he didn't do it anyway. He didn't goddamn do it. All he right. did shit. Yeah. What the thing is, he defrauded the American voting public. A democracy, if you want to look at what a democracy is, okay, 
that was a big thing there. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Getting your notes? I'm trying to find a goddamn thing that I wrote down here. Well, we can't know I, what it is. And I don't, you Pe know. People vote for their leaders. Yeah, they vote for their leaders. But a democracy is having the full truth about each candidate, you know, as much truth as you can about each candidate, about what he's involved in and not involved in. Oh, well, that's a good uh, democracy. That's a good democracy. But we've yeah. never had a guy lie so emphatically about his Business in Russia, yeah, yep, and his two payments to women, oh yeah, to affect the vote. Shut, he defrauded shut, the American voting public. Now he's a fraud. Screw him. Strip him of his presidency. He doesn't. He's like I said always. He's an illegitimate president. Okay, final stop. Bullshit. You left out the most fun <laughs> bit this week though, and that's that guy that looks like a dentist on an advertising brochure, Rex Tillerson. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Rex came out and said he was a former Secretary of State. He used to be the CEO of Exxon and made deals bigger than Trump's little pinky. Deals way more than Trump ever thought he made. But, I mean, he did big bean spill this he, week. Yeah. Well, he came out and said that Trump wanted him to do a lot of illegal things. And, and he said, he, it's illegal. It's illegal. You yeah. can't do that. He said Trump threw a temper tantrum. Then naturally Trump calls, comes out and calls him stupid and a rockhead. Yeah, yeah. You know, more bullshit from the president of the United States, which is not the president of the United States because he's only the president of a cult. 35%. He doesn't talk to me. He doesn't talk to anybody that thinks like me. He only talks to the dunderheads. Uh, but anyway, what happens here, uh, now, don't panic. Uh, what does that do to the Democrats, though? They don't want to impeach this guy right away, but with felony charges, what are you going to do? Is he going to be the only president that has felony charges against him and not get impeached? Oh, yeah, they got to impeach the son of a bitch okay. now. Yeah. Well, he's, they he's, do. He's one of them. Only, what, what? Well, there's three. Three presidents yeah. have been impeached. Bill Cl yeah, yeah. Uh, Nixon, he resigned. Yeah. Bill Clinton, they impeached him for lying on the stand. Woohoo! They impeached him for lying. What the hell you think Trump has been doing? Get a grip! I did not have. Um, yeah, well, Nixon <laughs> just didn't get caught for the stuff he did. A courageous leader and a blessed man, surely in God's plan. Come on. Absolute. God in his infinite wisdom put Richard Nixon on this earth. <laughs> okay. Right, Still well. not as bad as Nixon. Okay. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. Oh, bullshit. Still you, not as bad as Nixon. You can say that with a straight face? Yeah. This guy is a hundred times no. worse than Nixon. Uh, you don't even know the full story. This is all this shit's come on. You don't know the full story. He lied about his things in, in Moscow. He paid off two women. Yeah, we know. He lied about it. He's lied about everything. Yeah. We don't know the full corruption of his politics. Richard, we don't know Richard the full Nixon story. bribed um, combatants in Vietnam to carry on with the war to make FDR look bad. Slam dunk. Ah, oh, bullshit. Uh, weekend. Variety. Wireless. Read me a poem. Chris Matthews is in the studio, but before we kick into it, a further if not belated, congratulations on Headless Chickens, your former band, Stunt Clown, being Classic Album of the Year at New Zealand Independent Music. So um, hats off to that for uh, a good year, 2018. Uh, great, great recognition. Yes, thank you. 
it's all kind of like coming around and going around. We're going to re-release Stunt Clown next year, mm -hmm. I think. Body Blows imminently due for release. Um, just going through its third pressing in oh, America wow. right now. I, I don't like vinyl very much, and one of the reasons I don't oh, like vinyl God, I is because... Friend. You're my only friend. This absolute buddy <laughs> bullshit. Trying to get the things made in yeah. the first place. And then playing them, they're just such fragile, precious little children. Yeah. Uh, There's a serious poetic link between uh, the album called The Map of Love. It's Chris Matthews and the Robot Monkey Orchestra. The lyrics are entirely from the works of Dylan Thomas. They, they are. It was a project I um, undertook when I was living in Dunedin. It was for the Dunedin Fringe Festival. I decided to compose songs or pieces mm. of music based around his lyrics, or his, his words, I should say. Right. And try and make them into songs. Here's Before I Knocked. Before yeah. I Knocked and Flesh Let Enter. And who knows what the hell he's talking about there. Drift 
Monkey Orchestra, The Map of Love, entirely the works of Dylan Thomas. And look, hats off, because I reckon it's a hard thing to do to get somebody else's work to sound smooth so you can't see the joins and it doesn't sound like it's shoehorned in. Yeah, well, I, I was a little dubious about that project because of some other projects that other people have done. I thought, you know, shit, I'll give it a go. I mean, like, well... You know, I've been reading books since I was as high as somebody's knee, but a lot of my early influences in literature, at least, were um, like Leonard Cohen, obviously, who was a writer before he was a songwriter. He was a published novelist. He was a published poet. And Dylan Thomas, the thing about the best poets is that they read like like really good lyrics for songs, oh. you know? Because you kind of have to read them to yourself to get the oh. meter and the... Because poetry obviously is best read aloud. Oh. You know, when you hear somebody reading their own poetry really well, you go, oh, shit, that... Oh. It just makes a lot more sense. Also, a lot of writers that I liked were like Janet Frame, who had a very poetic sensibility with the way she used words. And this guy here... Richard Brodigan, who mm. I'm going to read a poem by. Mm. And so I just, you're not going for a Dylan Thomas? I'm not going to go for a Dylan Thomas. You're I thought, full of surprises. I thought that was too bloody obvious. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking I could bring my guitar up and sing one of them, but um, I've had this laryngitis going on for about nearly two and a half months. So oh. I did think Bukowski would be quite good with the state of my voice at Charles, the moment. Yes. Yeah. Being another uh, favourite, old favourite of mine, but... Mm -hmm. um, studying poetry at school do any good? I don't remember really studying poetry at school. I lived in the western suburbs of Auckland and I used to get the bus into town, I guess on weekends mostly, but I also used to skip school quite a lot. And I used to go into High Street where most of the second-hand bookshops were at the time. Okay. And um, so I discovered most of them for myself. That's a really gratifying thing in itself. Mm. Well, before we hit Richard Brodigan, uh, what was it about Dylan Thomas that made you latch onto him with the music? I, I had that book of the collection of poems that was first published in about 1953 or something. Oh. When I was 16, which has got all of his, you know, famous classic poems in it. And I've still got the same book, but I, 
I started reading it again around that time when I was thinking about doing the songs. And the poems that I could see would work are, are written in a in a, a meter that's very much like what songwriters use okay. w- with lyrics, you know. And I just tried to make f- find poems that fitted with the music that I could get a melody happening with, but also um, I think the thing I really like about Dylan Thomas is that his use of elemental language is so strong. There's there's like blood and fire and death and bombs and, you know, children k- killed during World War II. And na- there's a lot of nature, but his take on nature to me is very much like Edvard Munch. Edvard Munch thought that nature was basically out to kill us, mm. which is true. Mm. And nature's not out there to look after us. Oh. If you wander around in nature uh, and you're not watching out for where you're going, you'll uh, you'll die. Oh well, you could expand it to <laughs> saying 99.9999999999, recurring as far as you like to ridiculous yeah. percentage of the universe. Yes, um, it's okay for black holes and I've been neutron stars, but bugger all else. Yeah, I know. I've I've been on a Richard. Dawkins and, oh, yeah. and Neil deGrasse Tyson kick for cool. uh, lots of other people for a long time and the more I find out about us and our relation to the universe the more I just think we're a product of everything yeah it's amazing you know and that's another reason why I wanted to read this poem great by Brautigan now tell us about Richard because, Brautigan if you can and because because Thomas was so much into his environment his elemental environment where he lived in Wales he was surrounded by the ocean, by beaches, by uh, just beautiful, but but very rugged. It's a, a lot of um, the areas of Wales where he lives, Swansea Beach, where he grew up, looks, if you see a picture of it, it's very, very similar to um, parts of the coast in Dunedin, where I lived for 15 years, where I worked on that project. There's a there's a place called Blackhead Quarry where they quarry rock from, and if you go up the top of there and look down, the beach looks almost identical to Swansea Beach. Mm. It's like this you could put them on top of each other. There's the whole thing about environment, about you know when you're in an environment that you recognise as being like somebody else's environment. I think that's a big part of it as well. So, yeah. well with Dylan Thomas, I, I like the flowing musicality where yes. he gives himself permission to use words that. Damn it, they just sound right. Yeah. I mean, he used a lot of very interesting words, but it was more the way he put words together into sentences and structure. Mm. You know, you read them and you're just like, that doesn't sound anything like anything I've read before. And yeah. I think Janet Frame is another person who did something very similar. Okay. And I'm sure she probably was a Dylan Thomas fan. All right. He was, he now, was. Richard Brodigan, a more modern poet than, oh, only just, I suppose. 1935, I think he was born. He he grew up in the Midwest. I can't remember exactly which state, but he, he knew from a young age that he was going to be a famous poet or writer. He knew this. He lived in a boarding house with this woman when he was about 18, 19, and he was writing constantly all the time. He was a big Walt Whitman fan, so he was also into this whole areas of nature and the way they relate to human beings. But when he left the boarding house, he hadn't paid his rent for God knows how long, and he said to her, look, I'm going to leave all the writing 
with you that I've done here while I've been living here because one day this is going to be worth a lot of money and you're going to want to keep this. Mm. And he knew already at that age that this was going to happen. And it's true. And it, all, all this writing that he wrote in this house was later published. But I think he moved to San Francisco in about 1960, I think. Mm -hmm. So he became part of all of that City Lights bookstore crowd, Ginsburg and all of those people, um, and started going to all the beatnik parties and wow. hanging out. And as San Francisco moved into kind of more of a hippie scene, mm. he actually became involved with the diggers for a while, who were ah. the, the charity group who used to feed all of the homeless waifs and strays. And I kind of think of Brodigan as being like America's magical realist mm. writer. Mm. A lot of people kind of look at his work now and think, oh, he was an old hippie. But he was deeply cynical. He had a very bizarre sense of humour. There's nothing comfy or kind of cosy or universal about anything that he wrote. He had this really weird dichotomy between, like, totally mundane stuff and then, like, complete metaphysical weirdness. Yeah. And, it, um, and he had this incredible naivety about the way he wrote, which a lot of people kind of, like, look at and think, oh, he kind of just writes like a little kid. Mm. And you think, well, yeah, he does, but, like, you try doing that. Yeah. And it, it doesn't read well, but he, he used a lot of techniques in his writing. He used a lot of short sentences and repetition. He didn't use much punctuation, basically full stops. That was pretty much about it, and I think the odd colon. Mm. But, um, yeah, he didn't really like punctuation. He just wrote about weird stuff. Was it Hawkline Monster? It was yes. It's, it's a beautiful cross between a Western and a sci-fi. Who yeah. would have thought you could mix the two? Yes. And in uh, 19, uh, 1966, I think he wrote a book called um, The Abortion and Historical Romance, mm -hmm. which is about this guy who lives in a library, but this is a different type of library. This library, he lives there and he runs it, and people bring books to him that they've written, like handwritten, and he finds a place for this book to go. Basically, it's like if you've only ever written one thing in your entire life, you'll take it to this library. So he lives in this library. He meets this young woman. This woman is devastatingly beautiful, but she thinks she's horribly ugly. You know, he's, like, worshipping her, and she's, like, going, oh, I can't stand even, like, being naked and stuff, you know. So there's this weird thing going on with her. She gets pregnant. She doesn't want to have a child, so they go to Mexico to have an abortion. I mean, I can't imagine that anything was written prior to 1966 about somebody right. going to Mexico to have an abortion with their girlfriend. Yeah. So... You know, he was constantly sort of like breaking new ground with every single thing that he wrote, and that was one of his things, was that he wanted to do that. He wasn't happy to just keep on repeating what he was doing. Mm. His most famous book is right. Trout Fishing in America, right. which if you've heard of Richard Brodigan, you've probably heard of that book. And if you've heard of his poems, then you've probably heard of this one, which I'm going to read. If you haven't heard of the poem, you probably know the title. And it's called All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. There's a British documentary producer uh, whose name I've forgotten. He makes... Adam Curtis? Adam Curtis, yes. He used the title for one of his recent documentary series that he... Is it BBC or...? Mm. 
independent. I can't remember. Adam Curtis is very much into social commentary and, and tearing off the surface and looking at what's going on underneath. Yeah. I don't know when this poem was written. doesn't actually have a date on it, but I think I think it might have uh, been one of his earlier ones, like maybe very early 60s. Mm-hmm. Reading it again just before, it's it's very prescient as to what it was about in the sort of nascent days of ecology in the 60s and 70s, especially in America where the whole sort of green movement kind of first started off. But I think that it's come full circle. You know, we've, we've, we've been forced to come back to this idea of trying to treat our environment and the ecology with the respect it's due because, hell, you know, 40, 50 years ago, all we were doing was kind of like messing up the environment. But now we've kind of like suddenly realised uh, it's not just that. It's like everything, you know, we're affecting every single thing. We're, we're affecting our own ability to even be able to exist on this little rock in space. So, right. So, shall I read this thing? Do. It's called All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace by Richard Brautigan. Sadly, like so many wacky, hilarious writers, he developed a, a serious drinking problem and, and ended his own life. There's that as well. Anyway, right. I like to think, and the sooner the better, of a cybernetic meadow where mammals and computers live together in mutually programming harmony like pure water touching clear sky. I like to think, right now please, of a cybernetic forest filled with pines and electronics where deer stroll peacefully past computers as if they were flowers with spinning blossoms. I like to think it has to be of a cybernetic ecology where we are free of our labours and joined back to nature, returned to our mammal, brothers and sisters, and all watched over by machines of loving grace. And there you go. And you can, I think that's pretty obvious why that is fairly relevant to Mm. where we're at now. A typical vision of that combination between sci-fi and nature. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As you say, like a vision of the future where, if we don't get our shit together, then everything's going to go horribly wrong. This may sound strange, but it, I found it works. I'd like you to read it again. Now that people have had a think about it, just to read it again, kind of does the trick. <laughs> okay. I'll try and emphasise different words to mm. me. Yeah. Right. I like to think. And the sooner the better of a cybernetic meadow where mammals and computers live together in mutually programming harmony like pure water touching clear sky. I like to think, right now please, of a cybernetic forest filled with pines and electronics where deer stroll peacefully past computers as if they were flowers with spinning blossoms. I like to think it has to be of a cybernetic ecology where we are free of our labours and joined back to nature, return to our mammal brothers and sisters and all watched over by machines of loving grace. Chris Matthews, thank you for reading us a poem. Thank you. Uh, I just want to go out with one further twist from the connection you made musically with uh, the Dylan Thomas works. and It's such a twist 
You actually found a cover version to do and still kept it Dylan Thomas. <laughs> with, with Mink, who Mink. Did, did the same trick, but only with one tune, yeah. uh, In My Craft or Sullen Art. That was the song, you know, because they were operating in Dunedin at the time, I had been listening to their album that had that song on it. And I, I thought, wow, that's a really great version, mm. like a really good thing to do to make a song out of it. So that's kind of what kicked it off. Ah. Nice. You see? So there, there's that as well. We'll go out with that. Thank you very much, Chris Matthews. Thank you, Graham. In my craft or selling art, exercise in the still night, while only the moon rages and the lovers lie abed. With all their griefs in their arms, I labor by singing light, not for ambition or bread, or the strutting trade of not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. On a very similar tip to the poetry sort of stuff, uh, we explore the world of spoken word in music after New Sport and Weather at 11. This is part two. You can listen to last week's by going finding it online. There you go. It's 11 o'clock. Good evening.